UIONS is sponsored by Bet365 and they feature over 300,000 sporting events on their betting app. It's got everything you need to bet on sport. Bet365 are offering a wide range of markets, including first, last or anytime goal scorers. With over 45 million members, it's the world's favourite online betting company. With the Bet365 Bet Builder, you can combine match results, players to score, number of goals and more to create your own personalised bet. And if you can't watch the games live with Bet365's Match Live feature, you can follow every moment through live graphics and text. Bet365 is the world's favourite online sport betting company. The app can be downloaded from Google Play and Apple App Store. Over 18s only, please gamble responsibly. Hello and welcome to You Irons, the West Ham podcast from the good people at The Athletic. I'm Sam Delaney and I'm joined as always by the Athletic's West Ham correspondent, Rashane Thomas. Um, we got a packed show this week. Uh, we, of course, are going to be talking first about the performance against Newcastle. We're going to give you uh, Rashane's updates and insights on the Declan Rice situation, transfers coming into the club. The reports yesterday that we may be subject to a takeover bid from an American group. Loads to get through. Busy time for West Ham. Uh, Rashane, what, an, what a week it's been for us yet again. Been a crazy week, Sam. The grey hairs have started to show now. <laughs> started to show. We didn't start the best way against Newcastle, unfortunately. And it's worth mentioning prior to the match, there was a small protest from supporters. And there's one banner which really caught my attention. Obviously, the usual get Brady and Golden Sullivan out. And it was RIP West Ham. Yeah, I mean, it's hard to know. Sometimes you can become very impassioned, especially after a bad result and a bad performance and some of all the other things going on. And you can think quite extreme thoughts like that and think, you know, what what is there that remains about the club that we most of us all fell in love with a, a while ago? I personally think that as long as the fans are still there, that owners like players and managers come and go. One way or another, these, these owners are not going to be around forever and that the club lives on, irrespective of moving stadiums, there is a spirit about the fans. There's a history that can't be changed. There's a, you know, a mutual sort of affection for, for all of the stuff that surrounds the club and that the club can't die. I think it's a bit over the top, but I can see why. I mean, you know, I've gone over the top about things. Talking of over the top, what did you make of the Newcastle performance? Because, of course, inevitably, a lot of people on social media saying, you know, we're definitely going down. It was absolutely awful. Um, people writing us off completely on the basis of one defeat. What did you make of it, Rashane? I thought the first half performance wasn't wasn't too bad because, obviously, Suchek came close to that header, which now he went wide. Four Niles hit the crossbar. Bonner hit the crossbar. So, although a bit shaky in defence, I thought the first half performance it wasn't that bad. So, when I summarised my tweet, I was like, oh, decent first half performance. People were like, decent? What on earth are you talking about? That was garbage. We were terrible. And I felt like performance definitely dropped in the second half. We were just terrible. St. Maximum for Newcastle played well. Callum also scored a, a hat-trick. He had so many chances. And... He looked at him for again, it's a case where the defence keeps making mistakes, not looking good at the back. And yeah, unfortunately, I, I don't think those problems will be addressed anytime soon. I thought Andy Carroll looked pretty good, particularly in the first half. I found that annoying. I always <laughs> loved Andy Carroll. But I thought his ability to perform like that in a, in a yeah. game which he started was long gone. But he really put himself about and was very effective for them in the first half, wasn't he? Yeah, big time. But to be honest, he should have got sent off. 
Yeah, yeah, that's true. <laughs> yeah. so I think it was uh, I think it was uh, his header. He went up four with uh, Fredericks. I think mm. come on, come on, Andy. But as you mentioned, he had a good game. His yeah. first good game in a long, long time. Right now, we're offering listeners a special offer to subscribe to The Athletic. You can access all of our great writing on West Ham and so much more for just £1 a month. You can read Rashane's recent piece on why Graham Souness was wrong to criticise Mark Noble and his upcoming series of articles on the most talented players currently playing in the club's academy. Go to athletic.com slash West Ham pod to sign up. That's athletic.com slash West Ham pod and pay only £1 a month. I tell you what I thought, I agree with you about the first half performance, it did drop off in the second, but it reminded me of the way that we played against um, Wolves and Spurs when we came back from lockdown. Similar performances, I think we lost both of those games 2-0 as well, from memory, and the reaction on social was similar. And our reaction at the time was, was, you know, I remember after one of those games, we were speculating about whether or not David Moyes would still be in his job by the end of the season. And of course, things turned round in the end, starting with that the result we got against Chelsea. The performance was similar in that it was flat. There wasn't enough tempo to our attacks. And it didn't look like we had a method of breaking down the opposition. Really, really similar performance. Probably more or less the same team lineup as well. And I thought, well, th- this is the same. It's like you come up against teams that when you're at home, they're setting out to defend and hit you on the break. We're vulnerable to that because we've obviously got problems in our defence. But what we have is a problem with teams that sit and put numbers behind the, the ball against us because we don't have a way of breaking that down. We haven't got someone in the number 10 position who's going to pull out an, a mind-bending trick or pass to unlock a, a defence. Um, we're not really doing enough down the wings either. And I just thought that not every game will be like that. As a matter of fact, I think that you may see a better performance against Arsenal because we will come up against the team who are attacking and they therefore will allow us to go on the counter-attack and utilise things like the pace of Antonio. That's why our form turned around when we came up against Chelsea because Chelsea were trying to beat us because Chelsea were trying to chase a top four spot. And we just outscored them, you know. And when we played Norwich and Watford and we and we thrashed both of them, both those teams had to get results against us to avoid relegation. Our problem is against a decent, professional, mid-table side, kind of similar to ourselves, who just come with a game plan to defend. We are lacking in those games, but I don't think all is lost because these are the same players who turned in fantastic performances against Chelsea and Manchester United towards the end of last season. So I think we are gonna, we are gonna, unless we sign a very creative midfielder, a new attacking force that is, you know, that lends us something a little bit more magical. I think, yeah, we're always gonna play a little bit like that. We're gonna play square balls in front of another team's defence for long periods against teams like Newcastle. And we're gonna, unless we do something serious about defence, we're always gonna be vulnerable in those games to having goals scored against us on the break. So I don't, what I'm saying is I don't think that that performance is going to define what our season is like. But I think, you know, obviously there are going to be results and performances like that along the way. 
Yeah, I agree. And to touching your point, I feel like it's been a regular theme for West Ham to struggle with matches against the likes of Burnley, the Newcastles, the Wolves, the Leicesters of this world. But against Chelsea, Man United, oh, the players are up for it. They'll give a 10 out of 10 performance. You're left wondering, like, why can't you play like that every week? Why is it when, when we play against the top team, you're, you're full of uh, creativity, the passing's good, but when you play against a team like Newcastle, it's a bit stagnant if you know what I mean people say it's because the players have a different attitude isn't it actually because against those teams we can play to our strengths which is on the counter attack we can get men behind the ball we can work hard we've got you know hard working central midfielders who can help protect the defence and we can break and get the ball up to Antonio who's a fantastic counter attacking player and that's it we just have we just have more opportunity to attack and more space conversely against the bigger teams who are coming to win I think Arsenal will probably beat us we'll look into it later but I wouldn't be at all surprised if we yeah. saw some better some better chances and some better attacking play from West Ham against Arsenal but if you remember the last time you played Arsenal Mikel Antonio he had so many chances to score if you remember that yeah. match in fact the whole team created so many chances but unfortunately yeah. we just couldn't get away with any points and I felt like Moyes got his lineup wrong against Newcastle I don't feel like Noble should have started that match because mm. obviously it was Noble number 10 or 4 on the left flank and I, I was actually watching four miles during the time on the pitch and he just kept cutting in centrally like you mm. wouldn't stay out wide just kept cutting in and for for us to like do well on the left flank we need someone just to just stay out wide and once they get the ball they just give whoever's playing the right back a tough time I feel like with four nows it's just, it's just because he's naturally a number 10 it's just so hard for him to just stay disciplined and stay on the left I totally agree he's not he's, he's a number 10 he's not even left footed and he lacks pace and so I like him playing in a central role. But I think that, you know, at least on the right, we've got Bowen who cuts in as well. But on the right, Fredericks, although, you know, he's got his flaws as a player, he created a number of chances for us from right back against Newcastle. In fact, I think he created more chances than certainly any other fullback over the weekend. And and so what you've got is no, no matter, he's, he's not perfect, but he's got that frightening pace. Um, every time Bowen cuts in, he kind of creates space and there's that ball to kind of pick out Fredericks. You can then get across in. We've got none of that going on on the other side of the pitch because we've got a, 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 you know, a player who lacks pace and is right-footed cutting in in four nails. And there's no threat from an overlapping fullback because Cresswell doesn't really do that so much anymore. And he doesn't have the same pace as Fredericks. I looked at that game and I agreed with you. I thought one of our biggest attacking flaws was that we offered nothing on that side of the pitch. So when they were putting numbers back behind the ball, it was really hard to stretch them because they knew they didn't have to worry much about the, our left-hand side. I was looking at it and frankly, I was thinking we should put Masuaku on down there because Masuaku, he can't defend for Toffee. That's why... We're, we're nervous about him ever playing left back. But when you sit, stick him left midfield, one thing about him is he has got bags of skill. I mean, technically, he's got to be one of our best players. Um, he just seems, I mean, he's got other problems. Like, he's a bit crazy. He's a bit of a liability. He will do something bananas at least once a match, like get himself sent off or give away a penalty. But when you feed him the ball, he is an old, he will hug that touchline and he will beat players he will use tricks and he will get to the byline. And that is a problem for an, for the opposition they have to think about. And I thought, I don't even know if he's fit or was on the bench, but I would have liked to, I, I it, you know, against Charlton at least in the cup, I would give Masuaku a go on the left wing. Yeah, I agree. And if for whatever reason West Ham not turn the left back, 
before the window closes. I hope Stuart Pearce works with Masuaki on, on the defensive end. We all know Stuart Pearce is a great left back when in his playing in his playing days, and if he can just work on Masuaki's defensive game, because we know Masuaki is good going forward, he, and he's capable of doing some really good stuff. Look at his goal against uh, Wickham, for example, in a preseason game. Just really good goal. Like he has that in his locker. It's just defensively he can be a liability. And if you remember when Moyes first. His first game back, not the Bournemouth match, the one against Dillingham uh, in the Cup, he played Masuaku as a wing-back. he done quite well. He looked good going forward and that's the sort of thing we're hoping to get out of him on a, on a more consistent basis. But I just want to touch on one thing. When I was watching Newcastle, right, obviously I'm annoyed by the performance from West Ham, but I kept thinking to myself, what good recruitment from Newcastle this summer. You have an owner like Matt Ashley, very similar to uh, the owners at West Ham, not really liked but got the money out to get Callum Wolves for 20 million. They signed Jeff Hendrick on the free transfer. Ryan Fraser. Ryan yeah, Fraser. Ryan Fraser, who didn't even play. Yeah. Uh, Jamal Lewis, who was really good as the left back. Yeah. They recruited well. Very I mean, good. <laughs> I mean, I was looking at Jamal Lewis thinking, why on earth didn't West Ham go for him? It's exactly what we need. Young, pacey, promising left back. It's what we, everyone knows we're looking for. He played well against us. Why on earth weren't West Ham in for him? I didn't understand it at all. Yeah, I totally agree. Totally agree. And as you mentioned, you had a really good game. UIs is brought to you by Hims. If you haven't heard of them, they're basically your best mate when it comes to those tricky men's health problems. Balding is an awkward topic for men, yet a lot of us start to lose our hair before we hit 40. I did, and now I'm extremely shiny on top. The best way to take control of hair loss is to do something about it while you still have some. Hims was created to make it easier for guys to seek care, especially guys who avoid seeing their doctor in person for awkward health conversations. Not everyone wants to have personal conversations face to face with a stranger in a white coat. So Hims connects you to real doctors online, which could save you hours. It's completely confidential and discreet. You'll get a proper consultation and they'll give you sound advice on what you can do to help your hair before it's too late. It couldn't be easier to book your free consultation. Just go to forhims.co.uk slash athletic. That's F-O-R-H-I-M-S dot co dot UK slash athletic. Yeah, it was um, it was not a great performance. I thought that one of our biggest strengths this season should be our centre mid. I think that Declan Rice and Thomas Suchek, um, you know, there's not many centre mids anywhere, certainly outside the top four that could compete with that. But... I thought you could see that they were both um, bit bit off the pace. Uh, Declan, in, in particular, by his high standards, had a fairly poor game. Gave the ball away a bit. Um, just wasn't showing as much. I mean, with the thing about Noble is, I agree, I wouldn't have picked Noble. I would have played, I would have actually played Haller and had um, Antonio just off Haller. Because I think Declan and, and Suchek can do the running between them of three men anyway. But obviously Suchek had been self-isolating, so he hadn't been training. And Declan had had a few games with England and hadn't been as involved with our pre-season as the other players. So he, they, he looked a bit out of sorts. The thing about Noble is, Noble was supposed to be playing as the advanced member of that trio. But time and time again, he was the one running back to get the ball off the back four. So he was trying to do every job. And I thought, that was because, really, we need Declan Rice to be doing that job where he runs, he demands the ball off the back four, he pings balls forward. The Leeds versus Liverpool game, which I think goes down as a genuine classic. I know that's an overword, used word, but it was a genuine classic. And this lad, Calvin Phillips, who's, who's just got into the England setup for Leeds, he's a defensive mid, but 
he picked the ball up off of the defence and he pinged these like 30, 40 yard Glenn Hoddle type passes into the path of his wingers and attackers. And I was thinking, Declan Rice can play that, right? It's like a quarterback role. That's the sort of thing we need to be doing because we cannot play. We don't have the players to just pick our way through an organised defence. You know, perhaps only Manchester City have that kind of team who can just pass, pass, pass their way through and find the gap. We don't have that. I was thinking, Declan Rice can play those passes. He should be the one picking the ball up and playing it almost like an, an old-fashioned sweeper. But he, he was off the pace, wasn't he? Do you agree? Yeah, he was off the pace. But as you mentioned, he didn't feature for West Ham in pre-season and obviously he played for England. So it's it's it's, it's I'm not going to say, oh, Declan Rice is terrible because how no. often have we said Declan Rice had a bad game? When it comes to Declan Rice, yeah. it's a minimum effort of 7 out of 10 from, De- from Declan every week. I mean, bad by his standards is still a 7 yeah. out of 10, you're right. Yeah, you know what I mean? And I remember there was, there was like there was like a pass he's a player where, as you mentioned, we you know, trying to you know do these little cute passes that's not working for us. And I remember there was one short pass he played on the edge of the box and I can't remember who broke up but the Newcastle went on a counter-attack, St. Maximum passed it to Kellen Wilson and he didn't score. But as a reminder of that, we can't keep playing like this. We don't. We don't have the players. And you make a great point, Calvin. Calvin Phillips and that like quarterback sort type role and long passes. But what you, you're left wondering, although Declan Rice has it in his locker, who is he going to do those passes to? Barring Michael Antonio and, and perhaps Boren, because four now doesn't have the pace to sort of keep up with those sort of passes as well. So it's a tough one. What I would like to see um, for the next game, and I, I wouldn't be surprised to see it either, would be um, Haller starting up front. Antonio just off him and you've pointed out before that was what we started against Southampton back in February just before lockdown when we when we won and it looked like the green shoots of recovery it looked like it 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 finally arrived at a very good formation that could work for us and then post lockdown that all changed and Haller was dropped again but I think that's what you got to go for you got Haller holding the ball up you got Antonio running off him which he's much better at doing uh, the, if, it, if he's up on his own, because he doesn't have the best touch in the world, he is not the best guy to play with his back to go. He can do it because he's so strong and he works so hard. But I'd much rather see Haller playing that role and flicking it off for Bowen and Antonio to run onto. I think that is going to be our best route of, of attacking going forward. Yeah, he's spotted. And, and the thing I like about Alea is he has good hold-up play. As you mentioned, he's able to bring others into play. Obviously, the one limitation in Alea's game is his lack of pace. But with that, he's able to like utilise his strength to hold off play. And if we can link up with... like, I feel like there's a great foundation of Alea and Antonio. I feel like they really complement each other. And there's, and there's, we saw, as you mentioned, the game against Southampton and Alea done that Rabona pass. And Antonio couldn't quite score, but we have an understanding with each other. And if you're going to play one and have one, like I thought Alev could feel hard done by not starting, in my opinion, against Newcastle. In my opinion, I thought like he'll have a good season for West Ham. I think he's got it in him to have a good season. I think we have to give him that chance and I think you've got to start playing him. You have to start playing him. If we're not getting the results, you can't justify leaving a £45 million player on the bench. We didn't get a result. We were at home. We didn't score a goal. He has to play Haller. He has to play Haller with Antonio. And then I guess that means Noble's dropped and and maybe look at the left wing and maybe that be that you give Lanzini another go. I'd be averse to that personally. I would sooner see either Felipe Anderson or Masuaku play on the left and, and see how we get on with that. Yeah, I agree. And just to highlight how left wing could potentially become a problem for Moyes, he played three players on the left wing against Newcastle. He played up four nails and then he was taken off, I think, in the 65th minute. 
And then he swapped Bowen from the left and put Yarmolenko on the right. Yeah. And then... He put Felipe Anderson on the Yeah, Anderson on the left. So that's three players that played on the left during the course yeah. of 90 minutes. And it didn't work with any of them. Now, uh, let's move on from that performance. But it, it's very relevant because we're looking at gaps in the team, what we need to fill. We know we need a new centre-back and left-back and possibly even a right-back, plus someone playing on the left, plus a backup striker because we're thin there. What's the Declan Rice situation as you see it at the moment? You've been pretty adamant throughout the summer that you can't see him leaving the club. But these Chelsea rumours will not go away. Uh, what do you think the status is at the moment? Yeah, what is the nature of the window really for Chelsea to continuously be linked to uh, Declan Rice? But the club stance is he's, he's not for sale. He's still not for sale. Their valuation of Declan Rice is the best part of £80 million. And with Chelsea spending a lot of money on a number of players, it remains to be seen if they have that sort of money to... to Prize him away from West Ham. But the club stance is he's not for sale. Moyes loves Declan Rice. And as I mentioned, when I asked Moyes at the end of last season, you know, what's the likelihood of Declan Rice leaving? He said it will require the Bank of England money for him to leave. We keep reading that, you know, West Ham's finances are a mess, right? And they're getting worse, not just because of the mistakes of the past, but, the, the, you know, the impact of COVID and so forth. If we are making losses at the moment, and we know the way that the owners look at the finances of the club. If an offer comes in, let's say of 60 million plus add-ons, so 60 million cash in your bank account, 20 million in add-ons, or maybe a player, maybe a Ross Barkley or someone else that we, we'd need as a replacement. Let's be honest, you know, we saw Sullivan's response to a Dean Garner offer. He has not had an offer on the table for Declan Rice yet. Once it's sitting there, is going to consider it, surely. But even like if the Chelsea were to offer 60 million plus add-ons or perhaps a player like Russ Barkley, in my opinion, West Ham should still say no. They're under no pressure right now. Obviously, I know budget money's tight right now, but they do have the best part of like 30 plus million considering the sales of Diagana, uh, Albana Jet and Celtic and Jordan Hugo to Norwich. So there's money there. There's no pressure right now for West Ham to sell Declan Rice. He's on the contract. But he's 21 right now. Perhaps when he's 23, you can say, you know what, Declan, thank you so much for all your years of service West Ham. Here's your chance to go to a big club before your potential. Play with better players. I mean, that Danny Taylor wrote a column in for the Athletic and he said he can see why he will want to leave to a big club in the immediate future. But for me, West Ham should not sell him. Mark, no chance. Okay, let's put aside whether we think he should sell. No one wants to see Declan leaving. I'm asking, could it happen? I think I think it can happen. My opinion is it can happen because we have we probably banked on selling three or four players and not the ones we've sold, not your Hugh Gills or your Ajetis, ones who we thought we could get a few million quid in for and crucially reduce the wage bill. The wages that Dean Garner and and Hugh Gill and Ajeti were on were small. What we want off the books is Anderson's wages, potentially Yarmolenko's wages, Lanzini's wages, certainly Wilshire's wages. These are the big 70,000 a week plus that they need. None of that's happened. So it's so difficult. And that's why Chelsea, I think, are biding their time because they think West Ham will get more and more desperate. We were, we were, we were relying on more, more sales of the squad players that we thought were costing us too much money. And they haven't happened. Now, so that's the reason I think it will happen. And I just want to say, before anyone gets their knickers in the twist, of course I don't want Declan to go. Declan is my favourite player at the club. He's the best player at the club. I would love him to remain forever. Because of the state the club's in, the team's in, and because the biggest threat to us as a, as a club is relegation, which is a disaster financially, and the club know that, 
If you look at that team and the way it performed against Newcastle and you think, okay, ideally we need a left back, a right back, a centre back, a left winger and a backup centre forward. That is uh, five players. Is there an argument? Is there a case if the money's right for cashing in on Declan Rice? Right. And I'll give you an example of, a, of a, an occasion on which this worked. Uh, uh, I can't remember the year. I want to say... 93, 94 maybe. West Ham had a much worse squad at that time. Harry Redknapp was in charge. We had one saleable asset and that was Julian Dix. Now, Julian Dix was an even bigger hero to the fans than Declan Rice is now. I mean, you you know, way beyond Declan Rice. Everyone loves Declan Rice, but Julian Dix was an icon, right? He was the only player in the squad who had any sale value, Right. A lot of people regarded him as the best left back in the country at the time, bar maybe Stuart Pearce. Liverpool come in for him and Harry Redknapp looked at it and thought, well, this team is struggling. We're rock bottom in the table. We didn't look like we were capable of scoring goals or getting a point from any game. We were going down. So he cashed in. He got David Burrows and Mike Marsh as part of the deal. And then enough cash to go out and buy Lee Chapman, which actually turned out to be one of the worst players I've ever seen in Claret and Blue. But that aside, um, what it did was it shook things up. It brought some new faces in. It re-energised and it gave us the resources we need because we had no money, if not. And that season we did all right. And the team actually improved. So even though we'd lost our best player, we were able to sprinkle some decent players elsewhere across the team. And I was thinking about that the other day. And I want to stress again, I don't want Declan Rice to go. But you can look at that, what happened with Julian Dix back in the early 90s, and you think there is a case for sometimes cashing in on your top player. If you got Ross Barkley in return, so you filled that gap in midfield straight away and still had enough money to go out and suck by uh, Tarkovsky, Ben Arama to play on the left, and maybe Rico Henry at left back, the team's looking better. It's looking better, Rashane, isn't it? I mean, Sam, that was a really good example. Honestly, really good, but you still don't do it. <laughs> <laughs> you, you, you still don't do it if like West Ham and suffering against the championship fair enough we need the money but in my opinion you still don't sell Declan Rice it would be so stupid for the board to sell Diagon and Rice in the same window what message for that sent to the supporters one again it undermines Moyes because Moyes enjoys working with Declan Rice I always mention this match the game against Watford where Rice scored and he ran to the bench to, to embrace yeah. Moyes it shows how much he rates him I didn't see no one running to the bench to hug Pellegrini <laughs> no one whatsoever but but um, Roshane you're being sentimental I'm trying to be cold and pragmatic but nope you still don't do it you made some good suggestions like if we were to sell Declan Rice we could bring this player and that player in but for me personally what confidence had the board given me that they can get it right if they were to sell Declan Rice and bring new good players point. in yeah. what confidence have they given me we know for a fact we spent over the odds for Sebastian Allaire good player but not worth 45 million spent mm. way too much on Ola Anderson you know they have they give me no confidence they can get it right when it comes to recruitment we've seen the loss we've encountered the likes of Ayeti and Hugo like I have no confidence that they'll get it right if we were to sell Declan Rice hence why he should stay someone will know this I don't maybe you do but if not one of the listeners can get in touch and tell us what was the last player West Ham bought and then sold on for a profit Oh, that is the million-dollar question. It's not something that happens to us, is it? It happens to... I mean, look at um, Leicester City. Oh, Arnautovic. Yeah, Arnautovic. But hang on a minute. We spent a lot of money on Arnautovic. We we bought him for a lot. I mean, Stoke City, it was one of those ones where we had to go in with three or four bids until we got him. So, I know we saw him to China. I'm I'm not sure. I'm not certain about that. And Payet as well, I think. It was a sort of similar amount 
I think basically Marseille just let us break even, which was also a joke because he came with not that much of a reputation to West Ham. I would say by the end of his season, 2015-2016, I'm not joking. I thought that Payet was by far the best player in the Premier League. How he didn't win the Player of the Year that year, I don't know. I think Mares won it because Leicester had won the league. And I think he was. I think if you looked at his stats alone, he was up there in the top three or four players in the world. Less than a year later, we'd flogged him back to Marseille <laughs> and just broken even. I mean, he, 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 he must have been worth a hundred million pound at the end of our first season. He was. Un, it was like that season was like watching Diego Maradona, and we yeah. still managed not to make a profit on it. I don't know. Can you imagine? But I, I feel like that was largely down to his age. He was about, I think, 29, 29, 30, perhaps at the time. So perhaps that was a down to the reason why we couldn't maybe, get a lot of money still, from him. I mean, for God's sake, maybe a small profit, considering that he'd come to the Premier League and had the absolute piss, not to put too fine a point in it. The, the bloke turned up in the Premier League. He took one look. He'd only ever played in France for, and he just absolutely rinsed the Premier League out every single game he played in. I mean, I've never seen anything like it. Anyway... Let's not get too dewy-eyed about that. It also comes to the fact the club is doing much better when it comes to negotiating for players leaving. And I, and I mentioned again, Jordan Hugo scored, what, 15 goals in the Championship. He's gone mm. for 2.5 million in a deal worth up to like 5 million. You need to get more yeah. money for him. Ayeti's gone for peanuts pretty much and he's doing well in Celtic right now. You've got to do better when it comes to selling players. Okay, let's uh, move on. Any any news on any of the players coming into the club? Uh, you know, the rumour is that we made, a, I think, a third bid worth up to 30 million for Tarkovsky. Is that right? Yeah, but it's just a case of the valuation just <laughs> too extreme for Burnley. They they want up to at least fifty million for Tarkovsky, and it's just not, it doesn't make sense. It really doesn't. He's a good player, but he's not worth that much money. And just touching on another player who played well on his debut, like Gabriel, for example, for Arsenal, cost the best part of twenty two million for Lille, and he's done really well. And you're thinking, what fifty million for someone like Tarkovsky? Not worth it. But it's worth mentioning that David Ornstein uh, mentioned in his column on Monday that. Uh, West Ham are keen on Emerson from the left back from Chelsea, Kalasinic, the left back from Arsenal, and a player we mentioned on the previous podcast, uh, Matt Bianco, the defender who can play a centre half and left back. Matt Bianco? They were a great 80s uh, pop group as well. <laughs> but you won't remember them. <laughs> nah, I won't. Uh, well, I can, I can look at YouTube after. I don't yeah. sorry. <laughs> so, yeah, the three players were keen. As we mentioned numerous times, defence is the priority. So, centre half and left back definitely area trying to get players in. Well, let's hope someone comes in sooner rather than later. I- I suspect that Burnley are waiting for other offers to come in and they will leave it till later in the window and they may well accept what we're offering now, but they think, what's the point? We're not. We're in no rush. We're under no pressure. If he's desperate to go, we might accept 30 million or thereabouts uh, closer to the window closing. He should be a sought-after player. He's a good player with a great Premier League pedigree. They're hoping that someone else shows interest, surely. Sam, do you think Tarkovsky will be desperate to join West Ham right now? Considering no. the atmosphere at the club, no. But who would be? I mean, I read, I read about the uh, Chelsea offering Ross Barkley to West Ham. Now, I'm a fan of Ross Barkley. I think he's a good player. He's a different sort of a player to Declan Rice, but he's um, so it won't be a like for like swap. He's more attack minded, I guess. But I've always liked Ross Barkley. Um, but I'm thinking Ross Barkley will be looking at that, reading about that in the paper, thinking. Pfft, no thanks, mate. I'm not going to be like a pawn in this transfer and I end up at West Ham. They're a crisis club. Yeah. Even their captain's miserable and speaking out against the board. How am I going to get chucked in? I'm a bloody England international. 
funny where you actually feel a bit sorry for a player being linked with your club. I thought, oh, poor, poor Ross Barkley. He was supposed to be the next gasser, the poor bastard. Wouldn't it be great if every clothing store you shopped at had only your size, the styles you like, and everything at the price you want? Well, Stitch Fix is a company focused on doing just that. It's an online personal styling company that makes getting the clothes you love simple. It's a completely different way to shop, and it's all about you. To get started, go to stitchfix.co.uk slash irons to set up your profile, and they'll deliver great looks personalised just for you. You'll pay a £10 styling fee for each fix, which is credited towards anything you keep. Schedule at any time with no subscription. Delivery and returns are completely free and easy, so you can always send back items that aren't right for you. Get started with Stitch Fix today by going to stitchfix.co.uk slash irons right now and make sure you use our show name to support our podcast. People, of course, can stay up to date on any big transfer news by looking at The Athletic, which, by the way, special offer at the moment, you can subscribe for a pound a month for a limited time. So get on that if you're not already because you're getting great writing on West Ham from Rashane every single day, plus loads of breaking news and, and other content too. What about this takeover bid, mate? There's a There was a suggestion flying around in the news yesterday that an American consortium proposing a takeover of West Ham was uh, preparing an improved offer after the club rejected an opening bid last month for 350 million quid. What can you tell us about that? Well, there hasn't been a bid, but there's definitely interest. Right. There's definitely interest, but there hasn't been a bid. When I saw the news broke last night on Twitter, West Ham fans were like, hallelujah, our prayers have been answered, but mm. let's not get carried away here. There hasn't been a bid. There right. hasn't been a bid. And in all honesty, I, I reckon the board have no intention of selling before 2023 mm. because there's a clause in the London Stadium that if they get in a region, if the club is sold in a region between 200 and 300 million, they'll have to pay, I think it's like 12.5% must be paid. So I think it's very unlikely that they'll sell before that year. And to be honest, the tensions of David Gold, sorry, David Sullivan rather, is to pass the club down to his sons. That's his intention, to pass it down to, to Jack and David Sullivan Jr. So I don't see it happening anytime soon. Isn't the point really of the um, the, the GSB out campaign? And of course, we, we had a representative of the campaign on the pod not so long ago. Isn't it to sort of, just basically build the pressure up on the owners to the extent that they just think, I just want out, it's not worth it. And that really is what's going on at the moment. Um, fans, more and more fans. I mean, again, Jim White on TalkSport, unbelievable. <laughs> unbelievable. Yeah, I, I know Jim a little bit from working there. Nice guy, but I mean, it is unbelievable the extent to which he keeps referring to as a minority of fans. How how could he possibly know that? We do this podcast. We both go to all the West Ham games. We All our friends are West Ham fans. This is the majority now. This is not a small thing, right? This is the major, the vast majority of West Ham fans are exasperated and fed up for all manner of reasons, right, um, with the way in which this club has been run. We found out yesterday on Fantastic Swiss Ramble, which is a, a very credible and, and does, you know, pretty forensic and thorough research into football clubs' finances. And he, he did a sort of summary of the situation at every Premier League club. And we discovered that um, West Ham's owners loan have, have loaned money to the club, like many rich owners have done to Premier League clubs. But I think they're one of only two who have charged interest on those loans and claimed them back to their own profit, um, which was astonishing and frustrating to know. 
the time has come for them to listen to his offers. I, you know, I genuinely hope that the pressure building up and the sense that this is no longer a minority, this is a a, a, a huge majority of West Ham fans who are fed up, exasperated, upset by the by the way in which this club has been run for over ten years now. It's time for them to go do the decent thing. I mean, this this group obviously exists. They're they're American. It says in the story that I've read that yeah, there are financial penalties that um, the owners have to pay if they do sell before 2023. But the group bidding are aware of that and hope to um, reach a figure that's large enough to soften that blow, was the word in I read. So they're basically saying, listen, we'll chuck that in. If, you, if you're going to owe the taxpayer a couple of million quid, we'll chuck that into the deal. We'll keep an eye on that. And again, you know, you'll hear it in The Athletic once there is any credible and bona fide news coming through about that. Um, one thing that worries me is that if they are in any way considering, you know, selling up or they're aware that they could make a huge profit, because you're right, he loves being in control, but he also loves money. And, you know, he sold Birmingham. He, you know, he, he probably enjoyed being in control of Birmingham. But once he saw that he could make a lot of money, he sold up. And so, if if a if a if a big group from America come in and think, well, long term, there's a, definitely a way of making money out of having a football club that is permanently in the top half of the Premier League, then any amount up front is worth it because we'll make it all back if we see it as a long term investment. David Sullivan might do it if he's thinking that in any way. Could that discourage him from? buying players could it dis- could it encourage him to sell in Declan Rice only because it might make the books look better if a sale was in the offing still no chance he's still he's still not so Declan but it might discourage him from spending too much money on pl- bringing players in because you know you want to keep your overheads down don't you you want to keep the balance sheet looking decent for when the, the takeover bid comes in I look at it like from this approach I reckon it's a, it's a case where Sullivan's looking for investors from America and it wouldn't surprise me if, if it were to happen that David Gold ha- accepts a less stake. He currently has, I think, 30, 35%. It wouldn't surprise me if that were to go down and then he sells like 50% of his stake to like an American investor so he can have more money to like fund the club. I reckon mm. that could be the likely outcome from all of this. Right, we're running out of time. We've covered a lot. But um, thanks for the questions you've been sending in to us on Twitter. Uh, what have you got, Rashane? First of all, thanks for everyone sending their questions. We really appreciate it. A good one here that I thought we should answer, Sam. It's from Hey Ho, where's Joe? Really good at by the way. <laughs> His question is, how many points do you think we'll pick up before Fulham in November? Oh, I have to call up the uh, <laughs> call up the, the the fixtures here. I haven't got them in front of me. What are we looking at, Rache? Well, what's time? Next six games. I don't have to talk my head because it's just it's just striking yeah. me fair. It's Arsenal, Wolves, Leicester, Tottenham, Man City, and Liverpool. Mm. Uh, that's yeah. tough. It's not easy, is it? I mean, maybe we could get something. I see the opportunity for points there. London derbies, I'm usually confident that we, we're going to get something out of. I wouldn't be surprised to just get a point against Arsenal. Despite the fact I thought Arsenal were very good in their opening game of the season. They're obviously improving under Arteta. But we ran them close, like you said, at the end of last season. I could just nick in a point there. I always feel that we're going to get something from Tottenham. So, yeah, I think those ones, Wolves, Leicester away. Well, we're going to have to try and get a point 
or, or two out of those because I don't expect us to get anything whatsoever out of the City or Liverpool games. So I'm going to say four points, mate. I'm going to say three. <laughs> right. <laughs> I wish I'd be optimistic, but I don't see us getting any points at Arsenal. Wolves, for whatever reason, just can't seem to beat Wolves. They're just like our bogey team. Can't well, they're bloody good. Well. I watched them yeah. last night. They're a serious team, Wolves, aren't they? I feel like the two games we have a good chance to get points, Leicester and Tottenham. Mm. I can't see us getting points at Man City or Liverpool, unfortunately. So they're the two good chances to hopefully pick up six points, but I reckon it'll be free. And hopefully, at some stage during this run of difficult games, we'll see some new faces in the squad as well, which hopefully will make a difference. Um, so fingers crossed on that. Uh, key questions coming in. We haven't had a huge amount of time to cover them all this week, so we will go back to some next week. We'll try and answer some on Twitter as well. Uh, we really appreciate it, as Roshane says, getting in touch. It's good to have a back and forth with you guys. Um, Roshane, thanks as always. Been fascinating to chat with you. Let's cross our fingers for the game against Charlton and Arsenal. We'll be back next week. Thanks for listening. And remember, ladies and gents, there's only one Samasia boat.